Amen. All right. Let's go to the Word tonight. We're going to get into the Word. We're in uh, Philippians, all right, chapter number 2. Hallelujah. We've jumped a chapter. We're in chapter 2. And uh, beginning chapter 2 tonight, we're just going through verse by verse and kind of paragraph by paragraph and teaching and ministering, preaching from this. And it's been, I've enjoyed it so far. And so looking forward to what the Lord has for us tonight. And I'm going to talk to you tonight. We're going we're gonna to begin reading with verse 1, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1 through verse number 4. And tonight we're going to talk about how to keep a church together. How to keep a church together. How many believe the church needs to be together? And when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about the congregation. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. Thank God for the building that we have and that God has provided. This is a a sanctuary for the church, a place for the church to assemble and to come together to meet. Isn't that right? And so uh, there would be a lot of, there is, there is a, um, a lot of forces of uh, powers of darkness that are arrayed against the church to separate and to divide and to destroy the church. But God wants the church to stay together and I believe that the church that is founded upon Jesus Christ, upon the rock. He said, I, upon this rock, speaking of himself, Jesus, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. So uh, there in Philippians chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 1, Paul says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Now notice that second verse. I want to read that again. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. This is some good stuff right here. Let each of you, verse 4, look out not, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And I'm just going to throw in verse 5 just for good measure. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Father, thank you tonight for your word. We ask you to bless the reading of your word and uh, add your blessing and your anointing tonight. As we teach and minister your word to your church, to your people, we give you praise for this tonight. Open our hearts to receive what you have to say to your church, and we'll give you the praise for it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. 
Praise God. There are several dangers today, I think, and always have been, dangers that face the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an attack today against the authority of the Word of God. I think that we're all aware of that, that the Bible is being attacked, the truth of God's Word, the authority of the Word of God is under attack, and Satan has always tried to defeat the Word of God and attack the, the authority and, um, uh, of the Word of God, but he's never been successful. But there is also the danger of spiritual apathy that we find in the, in the body of Christ within the church today. There is uh, the danger of, of a church becoming cold and indifferent and lukewarm and losing their first love and, you know, just, just going through the motions and not really being, uh, having that zeal and then that love for the Lord. And that's something else that the enemy does his best to try to do is to kindly rock us to sleep or put us to sleep. Amen. And uh, there are a lot of folks today within the church that, you know, the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, I believe it was in Hosea, about those who are at ease in Zion. And uh, Paul talked about awaking from sleep, our sleepy condition, and not slumbering or sleeping. Jesus talked about being awake and watching to the coming of the Lord. Amen. So there's spiritual apathy that is a danger within the church today. I mentioned this, I think, when, when Brother um, John Richardson was here. We were, we were having some, some refreshments after church one night, and um, I asked him the question. I said, I just went to everyone there. I said, I want to ask the question. I said, what is the main sin that the church today needs to repent of. And without hesitation, he immediately said, the sin of apathy. And uh, I agree 100%. Jesus warned against that. And the Bible warns against that. So there's the danger of us being cold and indifferent and lukewarm. We don't want that in our lives. Amen. We want to stay on fire for God. Can I get an amen? But there is something tonight also that is equally as dangerous uh, as these things that I've mentioned. And that is anything that attacks the unity of the church. Anything that comes against the unity, that causes discord or disharmony or conflict and division. That is a danger within the church today. And the enemy has always um, worked in that capacity as well to try to to cause discord and and dissension and and get people pitted against one another within the body of Christ I made mention of that I think a little bit last Wednesday night and Jesus you know himself even said that a house divided can't stand so unity is a very important thing the Philippian church, this church that we've been studying, we've been talking about, faced the danger of discord and division in this church from a personal conflict between two women that were in the church by the name of Euodia and Syntyche. And in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, in verse 2, Paul addressed that situation. And, uh, you know, we've talked about how this church was one of Paul's favorite churches. It, this church, he rejoiced in this church. He loved this church. 
And uh, it, was, it was one of his favorite churches. There's no mention in this, in this epistle, in this letter to the Philippians, there's no mention of sin in the church. But nevertheless, there is no church that is a perfect church. How many can say amen to that? There's no such thing as a perfect church. And anybody that's looking for the perfect church is going to be disappointed to find out that there isn't one. And just about the time that they think they found it, once they go there, it's not perfect anymore. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but uh, Paul addressed this danger of this unity here in uh, Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 2. He said, I implore... Euodia and I implore Syntyche, these two women, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now we don't know what the problem was. We don't know what they were at odds with one another about. But it had gotten back to Paul where he was writing this epistle from there in prison that there was, there was a, um, a disagreement between these ladies. And I think probably the church was, some of them was taking sides with Euodia. Some were taking sides with Syntyche. And, and it was causing a, a, a division within the church. So Paul wants to address that right off the bat so that this conflict can be resolved and be taken care of. Paul addressed the danger of disunity in each one of his letters. When you study the epistles that Paul wrote to the churches, he addressed the danger of disunity in all of those letters to the churches. Because, listen, saints, and, and we all know this, but we need to be reminded of it, dividing a church, splitting a church, is one of Satan's major objectives. And Satan is always, that's, you know, that's his plan, that's his desire, is to... Is to destroy the work of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his, his major objective is if he can divide the church because a, a divided church, a bickering church, a church where there's strife and discord is a weak church. It's not a strong church. In order for a church to be strong spiritually and not spiritually, spiritually weak, that church has to be united together as one and be in unity and be in harmony. Now, I'm not teaching this tonight because there's any strife or division or contention here at Abundant Life Family Church. If there is any, I'm not aware of it. I don't believe that there is. I believe that we are, um, I can say that we are in unity and we are in harmony, but we're teaching uh, through this epistle and this is the part, this is a part of it, amen. So we need to be reminded, amen, we need to be reminded all the time of the importance of unity within the body of Christ. Disunity among God's people deeply grieves the Lord. Disunity among God's people, it causes God's heart to grieve. And, there, and, and, and disunity and strife is a danger to every healthy church. So preserving the unity within the body of Christ, within the church, is not an option. We have to preserve that unity. It's imperative that we as believers here at Abundant Life Family Church do everything within our power individually to preserve peace and harmony and unity within the local church, within the body of Christ. Can I, can I get an amen? Do you agree with me on that? Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 4. 
And verse number 3, on this, on this uh, thought of preserving the unity in the church, he said this. He said, endeavoring, writing to these believers in Ephesus, he said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And that word endeavoring means to be diligent. It means to make a persistent effort. So in other words, Paul was saying that keeping the unity of the Spirit in the body of Christ is something that every believer has to work at and has to be diligent in doing. Amen. That's your job and my job is to work as hard as we can to make sure that there's peace and unity within the body of Christ. So Paul, writing here in the book of Philippians in this second chapter, in these four verses that we've read to you, gives a kind of a formula, I think, for spiritual unity. And he tells us here in this passage how to keep the church together. Now, how many, you, you know, y'all want to keep the church together, amen? Because there's attacks from the outside. Listen, there are attacks from the outside and are going to be more attacks from the outside to tear the church apart and to do the church harm. It's going on all over this country right now. And so we have to stand strong and bind together and keep the church together. Because, listen, a church, a church, a local church is to be a group of people such as we are here that have great unity and great harmony and who have great togetherness of the Spirit. That is where God can really do something in, in that particular congregation where that group of people is together in unity and in harmony, together in one mind and one accord. That's when God has done great things in the New Testament church, in the book of Acts. I mean, on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost came and the Spirit of God came and filled those 120 in that upper room. Man, they were in a, they'd been in a 10-day 10 10 prayer meeting and the Bible says that they were there in, how, what was their attitude? They were in one mind and they were in one accord. They were together and the Holy Spirit came and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit spirit spoken tongues and received the power of God and then that church that early church in the book of Acts went on to be a powerful church and a mighty church and a great church and 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 healings took place and multitudes of people were saved but when you read the last few verses of Acts chapter 2 you find that there's a key there because uh, God was working and moving in that book of Acts church because of their unity because they were a uh, still maintaining that uh, attitude of being in one mind and one spirit and one accord and it created an atmosphere where God could do powerful things and mighty things and great things. So Paul gives us some reasons here why the members of, of the church should live in close harmony. And notice in verse number 1 and 2 of Philippians there, uh, he says this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. Notice, it, notice one, two, three, four ifs there. So he's giving us four reasons why the members of this church at Philippi 
And the members of this church here in Farmington are to be in harmony and in unity. He says, if there be any consolation, if any fellowship, if any affection, if any comfort of love. Now, now when we read that, and we read those words, those ifs there, those four ifs are certainties, are existing facts. Now, Paul, in using the word if there, is not implying that there's a lack of those things. He's not saying, well, you know, I don't know if there's any, any um, consolation in Christ or not. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. That is not what Paul is saying. But in the Greek, that, that word if, that's tra- the word that is translated if from the Greek um, means, it would better be translated, we could use the word sense, okay? S-I-N-C-E, sense. So read it that way. Paul would be saying this, therefore, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort of love. So that's what he's saying there. In view of the fact that there is, and the Greek text reads that way. It actually says literally, if this condition is true. That word if means if this condition is true and it is. So Paul is making a statement of fact here and he's saying that these four things do exist in this church and it's because these four things exist in this church that they should have harmony and unity and be of one mind and of one spirit. Amen. Now, these four things exist in every church. Let's look at them real quickly. He says, says, since there is consolation in Christ. That word, that, that, that consolation in Christ, is he's referring here to you and I, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Christian life, the Christian life is not just merely believing a set of doctrines or going by a set of rules. And I know there's people today that think that's what it is, that, you know, just joining some kind of a church, getting involved with some kind of a religious ceremony and doing these ceremonial things. And if you do that, you know, you're guaranteed a place in heaven. But that's, that's not what Christianity is all about. How many's with me tonight? It's not that that type of thing at all. It's not a religion. And I say this before. Uh, I've said this before. And uh, because people do refer to to Christianity as being a religion, but it's not really a religion. Religion never saved anybody. Religion never made a place in heaven for anybody. It takes a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Christianity is. It's not a set of rules or a set of codes or doctrines that we live by, but Christianity is a true relationship with a real person by the name of Jesus Christ. And because of that relationship with Jesus Christ, because we have been born again and adopted into the family of God, with with that relationship with Christ, we now are related to one another. Are you with me? Amen? That's why, you know, it's not, not as popular today, but back when I was coming up in church, everybody 
was brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and this, you know, and I still, I, it's hard for me to get over that. I still call people brother so-and-so and so Why? Because we're family. We're related. We have a consolation in Christ. You are my brothers and my sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all a part of the family of God. Amen? Thank God for that relationship. And that word there, since there is consolation in Christ, the King James and the New King James uses the word there in verse 1, consolation. But the word consolation means encouragement. So Paul is saying that there is encouragement in Christ. As knowing Jesus Christ, as being in the family of God, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, there is, are you glad there's encouragement in Christ? Is anybody encouraged tonight? Come on, amen. Jesus encourages us, doesn't he? He and thank God that he does. I, I tell you what, you know, we, we couldn't make it through. We couldn't make it through the, the a day if it wasn't for the encouragement that we get from the Lord Jesus Christ and from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God. But he encourages us, and Jesus encourages us. Some of the encouragement that he gives us. Now, I'm talking about something that we have here. We have a consolation or an encouragement in Christ, and the encouragement that he gives us is that he encourages us to be unified and to be one. Jesus never encourages strife, or disharmony, or discord, or disunity among the saints. Never. He always encourages us to be of the same mind, to be like-minded. He always encourages unity. Do you agree with that? The Word of God always encourages unity. So we have that consolation, that encouragement from the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives as believers. He's encouraging us to be one and be together with one another. But then the second thing that he says is this. If or since there is any comfort of love. Well, how many knows that when Jesus comes into your heart, and into your life, he brings with him the love of God, the love of Christ in our heart and life. Do you, do you, do you understand that? Amen. We, have you experienced that? Yeah, we have, haven't we? Amen. He creates, Jesus creates. There's a comfort of love in our heart, for he creates love in our hearts for one another. I've said this before that when I got saved and when you got saved, you can attest to this. That when you got born again, you got saved, that you, there, was a there was a change that took place in your life, such as the things that you, there were things that you used to hate, that, that there was hatred in your heart, but that hatred went away. It left. It was gone when Christ came in because when Jesus comes in, he brings love, the love of God, the love of Christ it, with him in our heart and in our life. Amen? We are commanded in the Word of God to love one another. Look at what Jesus said to his disciples in John 13. 
You all know these verses. John 13, 34 and 35. And this was the night before this was in that upper room as they were, had, had had the, the, uh, the Last Supper and Jesus was giving instruction to his disciples in John 13. And verse 34 and 35, he said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you what? Love one another. Now, now notice that. Did Jesus say this is a... Let me suggest something to you guys here and see if this is okay with you. Try your best to love one another. No, he didn't say it that way. He didn't make a suggestion. He didn't tell them to try to do their best. But he said, this is a new commandment I've given you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. And then in verse 35 he says and he says by this what by what by this love that you have for one another by this love all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another he didn't say that everybody will know that you're my disciples uh, because of, uh, you know of, of, of any other thing but not because not because you operate in the gifts of the spirit and we believe in the operation of the gifts of the spirit we believe believe in, in the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We believe in praying in tongues. We believe in that. We believe it's for us today. But he didn't say that they'll know you're my disciples because you speak in tongues or pray in tongues or because you prophesy or because you operate in any of the spiritual gifts. He said, and besides that, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that the more excellent way to operate in those gifts was to operate the those gifts in love. Jesus said the most important thing is the main commandment, the number one commandment, the new commandment is this, that you love one another as I, as Christ has loved us, so love ye one another. Amen? Woo, hallelujah. That's the comfort in love that we have. It's going to be hard. Let me tell you, it's going to be hard to have discord and strife within a local church when everybody in that church is loving Jesus and loving one another. Come on, can I get an amen tonight? Hallelujah. Praise God. Look at 1 John 4, 11. He says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That word if there again is, is not saying that uh, when he said, beloved, if God loved us, he's not casting doubt on that. How many of you all know it's not if God loves us, he does love us. So again, that word if would, we can use the word since. Since God loved us, or because He loved us, we also ought to love one another. Hallelujah. How are we going to do that, saints? How, are we gonna, how do we have that love for one another? Romans 5.5, 5, listen to it. Romans 5.5, 5, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the apostle Paul writing to the church at Rome said that the love of God, the love of God, that's the agape of God, that's the same kind of love that God has. God is love. God is agape. The same love that God has, the same love that Jesus had, he said the love of God has been 
poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So that comfort of love that we have comes from the Holy Spirit abiding in us. This love of God, listen saints, is not something that you can manufacture yourself. It's not something that's a part of the old nature or or the carnal nature. The love of God where we love one another and we can even love our enemies and we can even love those who do us wrong and despitefully use us and hurt us and say things about us that we can love them. That love is poured out in our hearts only one way and that's by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us. It's Christ Jesus living in us and loving in us and loving through us. Amen. So there is comfort of love. So he's saying because of that love and that fruit of of the spirit of love then we can be in unity if we're Loving one another. Number three, he says, since there is thirdly fellowship of the Spirit. Fellowship of the Spirit. Talking about the Holy Spirit. How many, how many knows tonight that every born again believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Amen? Not every And there's a difference, and we don't have time to go into that tonight, but a difference in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and the baptism of the Holy Spirit given to us for power. Amen. There's a difference there. But every born-again believer, the question is asked, and, uh, you know, well, do do all born-again Christians have the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. All born-again believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Not all born-again believers have been baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, but every believer has been given the Holy Spirit to live in, in them and abide within them. Amen. And I want to tell you, if you're born again tonight, the same Holy Spirit, there's not two, the Holy Spirit's not twins, Amen. The same Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in you is the same Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in me. And if the Holy Spirit's living in you and living in me, then then that same Holy Spirit, He's going to promote what? Fellowship. He said that since we have what? The fellowship of the Spirit. There's going to be fellowship. There's going to be unity. The Holy Spirit in the believer promotes unity. Amen? It's the same Holy Ghost that's in you and, and, and is promoting unity and love and fellowship among the saints of God. The Holy Spirit, listen to me, saints. The Holy Spirit is the life of the church. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. We've got to have the moving and the working and the operation of the Holy Spirit within the within the local church. He's the life of the church. He's your life. Amen. 
Without the Holy Spirit, all we have is formality and coldness and deadness and dryness. And my, I've been in enough cold. And anybody ever been in a cold, dead, lifeless, dry service? Amen. I don't want no. I don't want none of that. I like to be where the Spirit of the Lord is. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Hallelujah. There's liberty and there's freedom. And you know. There's, there's many churches today that have, that have shoved the Holy Spirit to the side and shoved him out and said, we don't want the, 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 the moving. And they might, they, they might not say it with their words, but the way that they do, they've, they've pushed the Holy Spirit to the sideline. We need the Spirit of God. Every born-again believer needs to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us together that brings us together the Holy Spirit is the glue if you want to use that word and I use it with reverence but the Holy Spirit is like the glue that holds God's people together and holds God's church together and as long as we allow the Holy Spirit to live in us and live through us and work in us there will be a fellowship there's a fellowship with the Spirit Spirit. There's a fellowship with the Father. There's a fellowship with the Lord Jesus. And there's a fellowship among the believers. And there's a fellowship with the saints. Amen. We're all in the same boat, in the same family, on the same team, with the same Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. We're together. Amen. We're in fellowship with one another. We need to be. We must be. It's imperative that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 and 18. Paul admonished that church at Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. And it's in the, it's in the continuous. Uh, it's imperative and it's in the continuous sense there. Not to just be filled once, but be continually, constantly filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is in control of your life, my life, when the Holy Spirit is in control of a church, the byproduct of that is unity within the church. A characteristic, I guess I could put it to you this way, a characteristic of a Spirit-filled church will be unity. Amen? Can you agree with that? That would be a characteristic. There will be fellowship and there will be unity. That's a byproduct. Yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit, yielding to the control of the Holy Spirit will keep a church together. Hallelujah. Amen. Fourthly, he said, since there is any affection and mercy, affection and mercy, if any affection and mercy. The Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ puts that desire in our heart to be compassionate, to be tender-hearted, to be loving and forgiving to one another. And he says that since all of these things, notice what Paul says there in Philippians 1 and 2, if you put that back up, Philippians 1, he said, since these things are in you, amen. He said, verse 2, he says, fulfill 
fulfill ye my joy. Philippians 2 and 2. Fulfill ye my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying, since all of these things that we just mentioned, since these are all true, they are a part of your life, they are a part of the church, then fulfill my joy. See, Paul was saying this, fulfill my joy by how? By what? By being, yielding to those things, being like-minded, having the same love, ha- being one of, in one accord, in one mind. See, Paul had joy. He had the joy of the Lord. He had talked about in chapter 1 about his joy and how joyful he was over this church but there was one thing that kept his joy from from running over or overflowing amen he had some room for some more joy and that one thing that kept his heart from overflowing and being filled with joy was the fact that there was two ladies in the church that wasn't getting along and Paul said I can't have the fullness of joy as long as that's going on so he said hey since you've got all these things in the church since you have the the consolation uh, of Christ and the love comfort of love and the fellowship of the spirit and the affection mercy now fulfill my joy that you all get along and be like minded and have love one for another the same love be of one mind do you see what he's saying he's saying this is how to make the preacher happy have unity that'll make me happy Paul said do you know that that will make a pastor happier than anything when everybody in the church is getting along and loving one another and in unity and harmony Woo! hallelujah in anything that can happen within a church that causes more grief to the heart of the pastor the ministry than, than discord within the church it's a terrible thing Amen. So he gives those ingredients there. He said, if you'll have unity, if you'll get this this situation worked out between Syntyche and Euodia, if they'll if they'll see eye to eye, if 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 this and listen, let me tell you, there's there's not a problem within a church that cannot be worked out and solved. And worked out if, if the two parties want it to be worked out. Amen? And that's the way it should be. I mean, we, we, we should do everything we can, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, to, to work those problems out. Amen. Amen. So he gives those ingredients. And he said, um, if you have unity, it's going to fill my cup with joy to overflowing. Let's, let's look at verse number 2. We'll touch on some things here, and then I'm going to let you go home. It's already after 8 o'clock. Notice he says, be like-minded, verse 2, be like-minded, having the same love of one accord and of one mind. That word like-minded means to be in harmony and unity with each other. We've talked about Psalm 133, so we won't go there, but just verse 1 of Psalm 133, he says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
Unity does not necessarily, does not mean uniformity. To be uh, uniformity means that we all think alike and we all, um, you know, we're, we're thinking the exactly alike. We're all in lockstep and everybody's looking alike and saying and doing the same thing and everybody's a carbon copy of everybody else. Now that's the way the world wants us to be. They want us to be in uniformity with the world and conform to them and to be like them. But unity doesn't mean uniformity. Amen. You can tie two tomcats together by the tail and throw them over a clothesline and you've got uniformity, but you're not going to have any unity. Are you with me? So, you know, uniformity is something that, that's different from unity. We're all, listen, we're all different. We all look different. We're even, you know, we even have different ideas and, uh, and things like that. But uh, we are to be like-minded, he said. Didn't he say that? He said there in verse 2 that we're to be like-minded. This is one of the things that he wants us to have in the church. And to be like-minded doesn't mean that, we're, that, we, that we have to all agree on every point of everything but it does mean it does mean this it does mean that that we will learn because of the love of God because of the fellowship of the spirit even when we don't agree or when we have a disagreement how many know Christians have disagreements sometimes amen we do and that's a part of life but what like mindedness means is that when we do disagree that we learn to disagree in a spirit of love that we disagree agreeably amen can, can you see what I'm saying? Hallelujah. In other words, we can disagree without having a falling out. We can disagree without getting mad at one another. We can disagree without shutting one another out and saying, I'm not having nothing to do with you anymore. We learn to disagree in love. That's being like-minded. He said in verse 2, like-minded and having the same love for one another. And then he said, being of one accord. Do you know what that means? That's like a band or an orchestra being of one accord you you, you talk of, think about an orchestra and uh, you know there there's there's violins and there's cellos and there's flutes and there's there's what there's trumpets and there's saxophones and there's uh, trombones and there's all different kinds of instruments in that orchestra and they're all playing you got the percussion you got the drums and everything and they're all playing together and you know what why it sounds good you know why it sounds so great is because they're all in one accord everybody's on the same page of the songbook and everybody's got the same key and everybody's together in unity and in oneness that's what being in one accord is you take you take an orchestra where you got somebody over well take it this way everybody's everybody's in one key and one person over there with a, with a violin or with a, some kind of a horn gets in a completely different key. He's different than everybody else. You notice it immediately. That stands out. It doesn't sound as good. Our worship team, know, they know what I'm talking about. Amen. If it, you know, the, when, when somebody accidentally gets in the wrong key, it breaks the unity. And that can happen within a church. But he said, I want you to all be 
tuned up. Hallelujah. Tuned to the same key. You know what? If Jesus will tune your life, if you'll let Jesus tune you to the right key, everybody will be tuned right. Everybody will be getting along. Everybody will be in one accord and be like-minded and be together. Come on, amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Then he said this, verse 3, let nothing be done through, through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. That, that, and that, that, uh, in the King James he said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. D.L. Moody said that strife is pulling another down and vainglorious putting one's self up. Strife is, is an action that resorts to evil means to achieve one's goals. Strife has the idea of rivalry, of a party spirit. Strife was used, that word strife was used in, in, in the Bible days to describe someone that was seeking a political office and would do whatever was necessary in order to win that office. Hmm, that sounds familiar. No matter who they had to step on, no matter who they had to hurt, that was selfish ambition to glorify self, to get my way, to get what I want, no matter who I have to hurt to get it. That's what Paul said, let that not be in the church. That vainglory of seeking self and promoting self that's not to be a part of the child of God. But he said, in lowliness of mind, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. This is not talking about putting yourself down, but it, re it refers to being concerned about the needs of others before you're concerned about your own needs. Paul was saying, don't promote yourself, but put the interests of others first. See, pride always says, I got to be first. I got to be recognized. That's pride. God hates pride. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Pride says, I have to be first. But humility always says, I'll be willing. I'm willing to be second. I'm willing to step aside. I'm willing to take the back seat. Humility is what Jesus did when the Creator knelt down and got a pan of water and washed the disciples' feet and became a servant that day. Amen. That's what he's saying. With lowliness of mind, let everyone esteem others better than themselves. Have you ever heard people say, well, I'm just as good as they are. I'm not, they're no better than I am. And that's, you know, that may be true, but we, we're, we're to esteem them better, others better. Man, I'm telling you, when we could get, can anybody see this? If we can get this attitude and this spirit within our lives, this rubs us the wrong way. This, this goes against the grain. This goes against the flesh because the flesh wants to be recognized and it wants to be glorified and the flesh wants to be the hero of everything every story that it tells. But humility says, no, I'm willing to take the lowly place with Jesus and humble myself. Amen? I don't have to have my own way, my own will. Two little boys was on one of those little electronic horses in Walmart, you know. They were on there together and put their money in and it was a little crowded. One little boy said, boy, you know, if one, if one of us would get off, I could ride better. 
it's kind of the way the attitude is with a lot of Christians today. It's all about I and all about me. Worship team, come on back. Amen. Anybody getting anything out of this? Is it helping anybody? Amen. See, there are no big shots and there are no little shots in the church and in the kingdom of God. Amen? There is none. We're all, we're all the same in the eyes of God. Praise the Lord. With lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. And look at verse 4, and we'll close it out. Let each of you look out. We can stop there and say, look out. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the attitude that we have to have, considering others and being interested in others and not just ourselves. Amen. Amen.